The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 13th, the Keep Your Head Above Water edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate and the author of the book How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting Advice column, and mother to Naima, who is six, and we reside in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Greg Lavalley. I'm the director of technology at Slate. I'm the father of Nina, who's almost seven, and Hugo, who is definitely four. I live in a neighborhood of Washington, D.C. called Mount Pleasant. Welcome, Greg. We're glad to have you. Thank you for sitting in today. No problem. My pleasure. Today on the show, we have a swimming lesson conundrum. Should you push your child to do something that she fears because it's for her own good? Also, how do you deal with it when your kid talks to you like you're some kind of asshole? Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Jamila, what do you have for us today? A triumph or a fail? Uh, I definitely have a fail, fail, and more fail. (laughs) Um, We have talked previously about how easy it is for my child to convince me that she's too sick to go to school um i think she's done at least two episodes of the podcast since the new school year started because she was sick um she's our unofficial fourth (laughs) co-host yes and we got a letter from the department of education um i also apparently didn't know that when you call in an absence that's not enough you also have to follow up with the letter i'm like but if we didn't go to the doctor you just need a letter from me saying what i said to the guy on the phone that seems like a waste of time i thought we'd progress as a society beyond that and that you could take me as my word and when i say my child is sick she's sick um but we got a note and her father's kind of freaking out about it and i have officially been called by the people um, the people have been called on me. It wasn't a note from the school. It was from the board or the D- Department of Education. And ironically enough, um, my daughter is actually sick this week <laughs> and had to miss school yesterday. And when we called her dad in the morning to let him know, like the interrogation was so justified because <laughs> I have been so weak on this issue. So um we didn't force her to go to school yesterday she was feverish and snotty and all that stuff but going forward she probably will be going to school fever snot all that stuff uh i just want to congratulate you on setting what i believe to be an all-time speed record and having the people called on you in a new (laughs) home that's like amazing just got here (laughs) i i feel like this is a rite of passage this definitely (laughs) happened to me uh with nina like the first experience in public school where like the front office woman was like okay also make sure you email me i was like sure I was like, really? I'm just going to email you whenever my kid is sick? Right. Like, that seems ridiculous. And then three sicknesses later, they were like sending letters and stuff. So I wouldn't yeah. feel too bad. I feel like this happens to a lot of people. <laughs> I think so. But, you know, it, it won't happen to me again. I think I'm going to have some pre-made letters. Um, and just <laughs> Is it like <laughs> a right. physical letter? Like an actual printed out in an envelope? They sent a letter. They sent to her dad's house, um, which made it infinitely worse because I'm the one responsible for it, and I'm not the one who got the letter. Um, and it it was but very. Are formal. you supposed to send a physical letter to them on paper? I am. I am apparently. Yeah. When Try she a postcard. This postage is cheaper. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I just want to like, no, I don't have to mail the letter. I just have to send it to school with her. But I thought oh, okay. that by calling and saying, hey, you know, Naima didn't just decide to go to Starbucks today when I dropped her off. She is with me. She is ill. That that, you know, that that kind of did it. I didn't realize that they needed more. Well, it's a great combination of, of the bureaucracy tripping you up. And also she wasn't sick. Right. Yeah. 
But she, for <laughs> anyone who may be listening, she was sick as far as she told me. And so my only real crime here is believing in my child. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Absolutely. So in a way, How dare you? it's a How triumph. Yes. Uh, Greg, you've been on the program once before. You shared a triumph back then about when you took your toddler cross country. What do you have for us today? A triumph or a fail? Uh, I went with a fail this time. Uh, it was way too uplifting last time. Good. And I tried to look for fails that are not like those ones where you actually talk about doing something you're proud of, but then talk about how it feels. Like a genuine... I wouldn't know anything about okay. that. Okay. So Hugo is... Uh, he's a stubborn four. Uh, Nina was not nearly as, as stubborn, but I'm, I'm learning that like four-year-olds can be more stubborn than I expected. And... It exhibits itself in every single way. So if you want to get him dressed, like it can't be the shirt that you picked out. It has to be a different shirt. And if you want to get him in pants, it has to be shorts. But shorts, it has to be pants <laughs> all the time, no matter what it is. And it comes out a lot at dinner time. And it's not that he's, you know, needs to gain weight or is a bad eater. He'll eat different kinds of protein as long as it's not the one that you suggested. <laughs> um, and so I started this thing a few months ago where I would say, like, hey, look, if you eat that bite of chicken, I'm going to be so angry. Like, it's going to make me really – I just don't – please don't eat it. And then, because he can defy me in another way, because I don't want him to eat it, he would eat it, right? And so this goes on for, like, months. <laughs> and people would come over – like, I would tell him not to eat the food, and he would eat the food because he wanted to defy what I wanted. <laughs> I, I wanted him to not eat it, so then he would eat it. Like, it totally works. Like, the huge, like, you know, reverse psychology crazy game that I was playing – and people would come over and they would watch this happen and they'd be like really weirded out at the dinner table. And I'm like, yo, don't you dare touch that macaroni and cheese, my friend. And he'd be like, ah, oh, no, 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 like eating it up. And they would all say, this is going to backfire. And guess what? Guess what started happening like last oh, weekend no. when I was out of town with just the two kids. And I was like, you know, don't, eat, don't you dare eat that bagel and cream cheese. I just put the cream cheese on it. It would make me so mad if you ate the bagel. And he just like whammed it on the floor and was like, okay. And I was like, oh. oh, no. So now I have, like, checkmate yeah. Hugo. Oh, man. Oh, no. And he's been, like, reversing himself on me a couple times. So, like, I still try it occasionally. He does it. But now he knows that he can play the game in the other direction. So I have a question about this. I don't think this. it was a good idea. To what extent was his initial going along with it sincere belief that you actually didn't want him to eat the food in front of him? And how much was it him enjoying the game that you had created? It was definitely all the game. Okay. This thing mm. started in the bath when you would refuse to, like, wash his body. And I would be like, don't get the bath water dirty. The way to get the bath water dirty is if you start washing yourself with this washcloth that has soap on it. And he would start doing it because it would get the water dirty and it was something I didn't want. It. And then, man, it has progressed into this massive reverse psychology failure. I don't even know if this is a fail. Like, you got him to eat what you wanted him to eat for, like, a month. So yeah. now you just got to try some other technique. It's weird to have positive reinforcement be like getting me angry. I know. I just, but I just mean like nothing has changed from two months ago. He still doesn't want to eat the shit you give him. It's just that for a month he did. So like he's winning currently. As everyone knows, parenting is about you winning. So you just need to find <laughs> the next technique. First of all, I love manipulation. So thank you for sharing that story. That was awesome. Um, I like tricking children. It is a favorite pastime and incredibly effective at times. Um, 
what if you suggested that the food you wanted him to eat was too delicious to share it with him? Like, oh, no, no, you don't want any of this broccoli. You know, this broccoli is just too, you know, why don't you just have that, you know, just eat that cheese? Like, oh, no, you're not going to like that. I don't know. Like, maybe just like it's something you're trying to sneak from him. Like when you sneak and eat cookies or ice cream behind his back, like treating the things you want him to eat, like with that same kind of like, oh, shoot, you weren't supposed to see me eating this. Get out of here. Sit him at the table with an yeah. empty plate and be like, my food, it's great, but I'm <laughs> glad you're not going to get any of it. We have gotten better about just leaving the stuff off. He's like, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. We're like, okay. And we just leave the plate empty. And about 10 minutes into the meal, he's like, can I have some of the um, the peas? And you're like, okay. And that's been that's been kind of working. But then you got to get it in his mouth, which is a whole different ballgame. I know that no one actually wants to make mealtime an endless psychological battle. Right. That's like a an interrogation scene out of Law & Order or something. But like... Nevertheless, that's what it, it often is. And so to the extent that I have been able to create games out of that event, whether it's a half-serious game like the one that you invented or who knows what, like I've actually found that playing with your food to some extent is actually a, a much more useful way to get little kids to eat than like getting in an argument about it every week. Mm. All right. I have a triumph this week. The triumph is that my kids finally – do their own laundry. Wow. Parents nice. of little kids here in the room with me are very excited. Parents of older kids who are listening are like, how old are your kids? And you, ju- <laughs> But whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, right at the beginning of the school year, we told our kids that starting now, every weekend, you have to do your own laundry. That is your responsibility. That's one of your jobs in the house. I took them downstairs uh, to the laundry room. I gave them lessons. You know, I explained some clothes you need to wash on cold. You can't wash on hot. You have to hang bras up to dry. You can't just throw them in the dryer. You know, there's all kinds of rules about what you can and can't do. You can't just throw all the unmatched socks in a bin because what kind of slob would do that? (laughs) But so it worked. The kids now do it every weekend. They find some time, usually when we're like watching Buffy or doing some other kind of inside activity, and they get their laundry done every weekend with minimal hassling. We usually have to remind them once or twice, but we have to remind them, you know, to to put on clothes at all. So I feel like that's Mm -hmm. not any different. And they haven't wrecked any of the clothes. And each Monday they have a bunch of clean clothes that are, I mean, usually wadded up on the floor of their room. But still, I didn't have to do anything about it. I didn't have to do their laundry. The only problem with this is that what once was an occasional dad's T-shirt borrowing habit has turned into a wholesale dad's T-shirt theft habit as now they just steal a shirt and then they wear it and then they wash it themselves and then they leave it on their floor or put it in their dresser and I never see it again but whatever that is a small price to pay are they available to steal my t-shirts my wife is asking <laughs> she just wants you to get rid of she some of your horrible t-shirts all the t-shirts <laughs> all of them there is nothing cuter than a kid wearing your t-shirt I have to say so I usually let cute. it slide except with the very very best t-shirts I wish that kids that were um, capable of doing chores like that were more readily available for hire. Like I live, in, <laughs> this is the first time I've lived in like kind of a big apartment built, not big, but I don't know. I guess there's like 20 units or so, and I typically have had just like a neighbor or two, you know, in my building. And like so, there's all these kids. And I want to be like, hey, do you want some money to like come do some of the stuff I don't want to do around my house? But I know that you can't do that because it's not you know the 50s anymore. Wait, why but, can't you do that? I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable doing like until I'm like 
I feel like I'd have to know the parents well first. Most of them are little boys and they run around and they play and they kind of, you know, I've seen a little googly eyeing at my daughter, but for the most part, you know, they don't necessarily um, seem pressed to include her in their games and stuff yet. But like, I've got all these moving boxes, you know, piled up and I'm like, man, it would be really nice to like give these kids a couple bucks to break down the boxes or, you know. And so I think about there being like teenage girls out there doing laundry. I'm like, yes, please come do my laundry next. You could do this. Jamila, you gave excellent advice in today's care and feeding column to an apartment dweller who wanted (laughs) to know how she could help a neighbor. And your advice was get to know the neighbor, introduce yourself, have a coffee. You have open and available children ready to work for pennies on the dollar. (laughs) All you have to do is sit for one fucking coffee with their moms. You've got to make this happen. I may try that. I I may try that. I, I could certainly use a little bit more child labor until my child is old enough to do it on her own. It's a big step. It's a big It's a big day in a family when you can finally make your kids do child labor. How did you do transition from you doing the laundry to them doing the laundry? Like, I just said we're meeting? not going to do your laundry anymore. It. It's now your job. It. I mean, it helps. It wasn't like a fade out? No. I mean, it helps. <laughs> I mean, I I am ashamed to say it helps that they have very few chores. So they understand that they've gotten out of chores for much longer than I think many kids that they know. So instituting this chore as a minor addition to the very few chores they already had, they sort of just shrugged and said, all right, I guess I guess it's time. I guess the gravy train's over. I have this memory of my mother betting we couldn't reach the dial on the washing machine. <laughs> and as soon as she saw that we could, being like, done. You're up. So. Reverse psychology spans <laughs> generations <I guess. laughs> in your family. You can yeah. come by it naturally. All right. Let's uh, talk some business before we move on to these uh, listener questions. We are excited to let you know once again that we are going to be doing a mom and dad are fighting live show in Miami, Florida at the Miami Book Fair on November 23rd. Jamila and I will be joined by Pamela Paul the editor of the New York Times Book Review and the author of How to Raise a Reader, and Adam Monsbach, the author of Go the Fuck to Sleep and Fuck, Now There Are Two of You. This is a absolutely free show. Bring the kid, hire someone else's kid and bring them, or just hire a babysitter to look after your kids. Any way you cut it, we cannot wait to meet you, our Florida listeners. Please stop by and say hello and laugh with us and Adam Monsbach and Pamela Paul. Also, apparently Jamila is taking me to the club. Yes, so please, uh, listeners, if you're interested in joining us and would like to purchase a bottle, um, I think we're going to have table service available. It's going to be lit. Uh, DM me on Twitter, uh, and and I'll send you my PayPal information. If this actually happens, it will be a really great way to see me very uncomfortable. This is 4 o'clock p.m., Saturday, November 23rd, Miami-Dade College. Once again, Saturday, November 23rd, Miami-Dade College, 4 p.m. For tickets and information, go to slate.com slash live. Business number two, sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It is free. It is fun. It is a letter from me every Thursday. Last week, I was sick on Thursday, and I didn't send out the email. And my inbox was flooded with desperate emails (laughs) from people who usually get the newsletter saying my life was incomplete without the stupid bullshit you usually send me on Thursday afternoon at like 4.30 p.m., it won't happen again. Sign up right now. Plus, you find out about all the parenting stuff Slate does. Mom and Dad are fighting episodes, care and feeding columns, everything else. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Business number three, check us out on Facebook. 
Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a really fun community. Uh, sometimes we draw questions from that community for the show, but always we are weighing in to talk about the episodes, to answer your questions, and for Jamila to receive abuse from people who love Frozen. Oh my God. Like, I, was not, I don't know why I didn't anticipate that, but I saw one comment and I was like, I'm good. See you next month, Facebook. Uh, lots, of, with me. lots of adult Disney fans, apparently, in the Facebook channel. In Slate Plus today, we will be talking about micro dates and other ways that parents can make time for personal relationships, whether you are years deep in the marriage or still in the dating pool. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. If you aren't intentional about saying, I'm not going to let this happen to me, I'm not going to become a sad middle-aged shell of the person I once was, it will happen to you. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That Slate's membership program is a great way to support all the journalism we do. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and other lesser Slate podcasts. And of course, in return, you will get extended ad-free versions of this show and other Slate podcasts and a bunch of other great benefits. So support Mom and Dad are Fighting, support Slate, support our journalism. Go to slate.com slash plus and join Slate Plus today. That was business number four. That's all the business. Onward. We got two listener questions this episode. This first one was emailed to us. If you'd like to email us your question and have it read by the one and only Shasha Leonard, send it to momanddadatslate.com. As it happens, this question is being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are Fighting, I have a question about trusting your three year old. We signed our daughter up for a weekly swim class this fall with her two best friends. She was really excited to go, but also a little apprehensive. She's very shy and likes to take things slow. The first class was touch and go, but okay. We stayed in the pool for half the time and managed to do most of the things the instructor asked. The second class started out fantastically. She did all the activities super well and was happy and proud of herself for doing them. But then her head accidentally went under the water. She was shocked and scared. The next class, she refused to go, screaming on the side of the road as we tried to get in the car. The following couple classes, we managed to go, and they went okay, but not great. During the week, she would talk about not liking swim class, and I finally said, okay, let's not go. The whole point of swimming was a fun activity, and if it's not fun, then why are we doing it? She clearly doesn't enjoy the experience, and I want to trust that. But part of me feels like I should be encouraging her to get past this fear. I think if she were a bit older, I would try for longer, but she's still so young. I appreciate your thoughts. Treading water. Uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this question only because Hugo and Nina are both in swim class right now and have been for the last two months um, with varying results. Um, you know, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Hugo responds really well to tricks. So there's a <laughs> lot of like uh, him sitting at the side refusing to get in the pool and me saying I'd be so angry if you went up to your feet. Then I'd be so angry if you went up to your knees. Then I'd be so angry if you actually got in and swam. And that worked. We're really unveiling your one it's, parenting it's just, move. I've got one. I say it's so like, great. Good, good thing your kid hates it's like, you. Right? So. It's like when I play basketball, <laughs> I, I have literally one move in the post, and it's <laughs> a fadeaway. And as soon as someone figures that out, I'm fucked. That's it. Yeah. It's over. Well, so this has had varying results. The first class, he went right in. And then a couple classes, he didn't. And then one class, he just sat on my lap the whole time and, and didn't get in at all. And the instructors would come over and try to physically throw him in the pool, like do that thing where they pick him up and throw him in the pool. I, having had experiences 
that are not great with swimming in my life. So I'm, I'm not a strong swimmer. I won't drown. But that's only because I've almost done it twice. Mm. I'm not a very strong swimmer at all. And I think I had a pretty bad swim experience as a kid. So I think my advice on this one is that three years old is pretty young and I wouldn't push it too much. Because what I think the worst scenario is that they swear off swimming for life, which I think I probably did from about age seven until I was in college. And someone was like, we're going to go jump off an overpass into a reservoir. And I was like, I have to do that. So, (laughs) you know, like that's that's the kind of swimming I was into is like, you know, but and I was like, you guys will save me, you know, just in case things go awry. And they're like, sure. Um, So like generally, I I think swimming is a really important life skill um, just for safety and just generally being able to do a lot of different things. And I wouldn't want to scare them off too early. I think if it was Nina and she was refusing to do it, maybe she's just doing something else and just doesn't want to get in there. Um, the other things I would look out for are if the instructors are changing, um, that can be tough for the kids. So, like, if it's not the same person every time and they don't actually have a routine at the pool, mm-hmm. like, are they meeting at the same time? Are those two friends always showing up? Can you text with the parents of those friends to make sure they're going to be there? And can they get into it as, like, a thing to do together? Um, so that it's not just like them in the pool and, and there's a bunch of like support around it being the same every time is the other thing that, that I would recommend. Hugo seems to have been a lot better if we can get consistency in his one friend in the class showing up because he sees him get in the pool and then he wants to do it too. Um, and then also having the same teacher every time. And don't let them throw them in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very torn about this question and I'm amazed actually at the extent to which my youth swimming experience mirrors yours, Greg. I also Hmm. really didn't like swim lessons when I was a kid, and I think was a huge pain in my parents' ass about it, and cried and whined and didn't want to go in, and they eventually gave up on it. And I didn't really learn to swim until I was like 13 or 14, and even then I wasn't very good. And then I went to college, and it was not that I wanted to jump off a bridge into a reservoir, because that's crazy. But it was that I, my college required you to pass a swim test to graduate. Oh. And I did not take that swim test until the last week of senior year. And it was very touch and go as to whether I was going to pass that swim test and graduate college. I could survive, but maybe not as long as the swim test required you to survive. You know, but I did. And and now I'm an okay swimmer. I also have never particularly felt comfortable in the water in a way that I see in other people and envy in other people. And my wife, for example, who grew up going to a pool, who was a lifeguard in high school, who was a competitive swimmer all those years on a swim team, and who now is just like a fish in the water and has passed that on, thank God, to our kids. They did not inherit my fear of it. And so I feel torn because I do think that having bad swim lesson experiences turned me off of swimming, but I also think that the net result for my life was worse than it would have been if my parents had just buckled their seatbelts and been like, fuck it, Dan, you have to go. We are not letting you not go until you learn how to swim. You have to become comfortable in the water. You don't have a choice. You have to do it. If they, they Instead, they gave up, and I got away with like not having to swim for like 10 years. And I don't know that that's a better solution necessarily. And so I agree that three is young. I agree that things like ritual and and consistency are really important. I really agree that having a friend who also comes along can really help a lot. But like, you know, when we lived in the Netherlands, every kid in the Netherlands learns to swim when they are three, no matter what, because in your town in the Netherlands, there's always a canal without a railing on it that you can just (laughs) fall into. So just everyone learns. It's just something everyone does. And whether your kid hates it or loves it, you make them do it because it's important. And this sort of feels like one of those 
situations to me, but then it's not my kid screaming on the side of the road. Jamila, what do you think? You know, I, um, I, I had parents that didn't really force me to do too many things that I didn't enjoy or, or take an immediate interest in. So like, I wish that, um, you know, my parents put me in like a Taekwondo class when I was in my daughter, my daughter's age. And I would just sit on the floor until it was time to go. And after a few weeks, the instructor just said, Hey, you know, mom, dad, she just really, she doesn't want to do this. You should take her out. And I got to take like clown class or some shit, you know, instead, <laughs> which was great. But I, you know, I wish that I knew Taekwondo at this point in my life. Not right. Clowning. I, um, you don't need the clowning. Right. So I don't much, yeah. I didn't need to be taught to clown. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and swimming was something that for whatever reason, I picked it up along the way. You know, like there were um, there was camp at the YMCA. There was a pool at my elementary school that was typically not in service. And I think I eventually learned in like middle school um, during like a summer program. Swimming in particular, not just like saying you should encourage your child to stick with something despite them not really liking it if it has um, practical application to their life. But like, you know, not knowing how to swim is just so dangerous. You know, um, my college also had a program like that. Strangely enough, because I was a theater major, we didn't have that requirement. But the majority of the school had to, you know, pass a swim test. And, and <laughs> you just like act your way out of the water? I guess. <laughs> they were like, you're not going to be able to afford to go swimming. So... <laughs> That's bullshit. Um, I was a theater major and I still had to take the fucking test. We did not have to take it. And it's so weird. And I think what makes it even sadder is that like I went to Howard in D.C. Um, The requirement for us was created, you know, many years ago because so many African-Americans drown because we don't have, um, you know, access to swimming programs and pools like uh, members of other communities often have and just have a kind of a distaste for swimming um, for a number of reasons. So it's you hear tragedies every summer about somebody's kid being too close to the water and not knowing what they were doing. I agree also that three is very young. um, And what you don't want to do is create trauma around water. But I would basically do what the two of you all said and, you know, see, is it about who's in the class this week, who's teaching it, is there a lack of consistency here, you know, is there something that we can create, maybe there's another swim class elsewhere that you may like better, and worst case scenario, perhaps revisiting this at five, you know, because I think one thing um, you should also consider is that three-year-olds are articulate, but cannot explain everything, you know, that they're feeling in the way that they'll be able to do, you know, or or that they'll be closer to being able to do that in a couple of years. So if somebody's having some anxiety or issues around water, it would be ideal that they could explain to you, you know, on some level where that comes from. But I wouldn't let this go for good, even if you end up deciding that right now isn't the time. This isn't something to just let go and, and hope that they pick it up along the way or that they, you know, they take a swim class in high school and all be well. I think that's a really good point about this is not the same advice as we would necessarily give if this was a question about maybe any other activity, right? If you've got right. a three-year-old who's not into piano lessons, I don't right. give a shit. Take your kid out of piano lessons. But swimming <laughs> does seem different to me. It seems more important. It seems potentially life-saving. Uh, and it seems something that's going to dramatically improve a person's quality of life for their entire life. I mean, it almost feels like my kid doesn't like their walking lessons and I don't want them to learn how to walk. Like, it's like it's almost at that mm. level to me. They quit CPR lessons. Yeah. Like, dude, you got to learn CPR. You got it. Sorry. Everyone learns CPR at age three. That's just the way it is in this family. Mm. Uh, all right. I hope that was helpful to you, Treading Water. Uh, thanks for reaching out. If you would like us to be potentially helpful to you as well, email us at slate.com. That is where we got this next question, which is once again read by the one, the only the inimitable, the incredible, Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. What advice do you have for dealing with kids when they respond disrespectfully? 
When I ask my daughter, who's seven, questions, sometimes she responds really rudely and in a very unkind way. How do you respond to that in the moment? Thanks so much. Well, I certainly have no shortage of experience in dealing with a sassy little girl um, who is at times very quick to respond in a disrespectful manner when she's asked to do something she doesn't want to do or interrupted in some way. Um, it's difficult and you're going to find that there are, you're going to have to try out a lot of different ways of communicating um, your disappointment and the appropriateness of language with your child um, and, and really coming to understand what their communication style is and how they're able to receive this information. Um, I think the biggest thing is making sure that you, one, keep your cool. You know, disrespectful language is not an invitation for yelling. You're not going to get the... Um, the result that you'd like from that. You're not going to do anything but perhaps create more tension and drama uh, in a situation that doesn't need it. And two, that you don't stoop to your child's level unless it is appropriate. So there are times where, you know, a kid can say a little taunting comment and you can say, well, that's why, you know, you don't know how to tie your shoe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't say that's why you don't know how to tie your shoe. But it depends on your kid. It depends on your kid. You it know, because depends eyes. on the kid. Some kids can handle sarcasm. Some kids can, you know, give it and give it, um, you know, with, with equal ease. But children are so sensitive and they also don't quite understand the gravity uh, of what comes out of their mouth, you know. So to them, it may not feel disrespectful. It could just be simply saying, I don't want to wear this stupid shirt you bought. The shirt is stupid. I am telling you something. You know, this is very plain and simple. You have poor taste in shirts. You've presented me with an unfortunate option for, you know, school today. And I don't want to wear your stupid shirt. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to undermine your authority as a parent. I'm seven. The shirt is stupid. The end. Can we watch, you know, Teletubbies or Frozen? Um, you have to tell them there is a way in which we speak to people we love there's a way that we speak to adults. There, there's things we have to think about when we're talking to other human beings, period. You know, that we want to be kind, we want to be clear, we want to be honest about our feelings, and we have to figure out ways to do that without hurting someone's feelings or insulting them. I think that's all really good advice. And I want to focus on one thing that you mentioned there, which is the ways in which how we respond to this creates not only kind of feedback loop, but a kind of model for our kids and how they talk to us. I know a lot of parents who are very, very, very good at responding to any disrespect from their kids or to an ugly comment or something mean with a very calm, that's not the way that we speak to people in this family, and I'd like you to try again in a more polite way. I often don't have it in me to do that, right? I, I have a much more visceral response when my kids say something awful to me it never really dawned on me when I was – before I had kids, the extent to which, uh, like, my own kids could hurt my feelings. I thought that was crazy. I thought, well, they're just kids. How could they hurt my feelings? But, in fact, they do it all the time. And I respond viscerally. And so I often have to really stop and think to myself about how I'm going to respond to something. And am I going to respond to this the way I would respond if I was talking to an adult who understands the different ways that we use sarcasm? How is it different from how I would understand if I was online? How do I respond this different than I would respond if I was with one of my friends who knows me and knows the sort of a, a different levels at which I communicate? Or how do I want to respond to a kid 
who doesn't exactly, as you say, know the gravity of what they said and is looking to me at all times to see, well, how do I relate to another person, a person I love in my family? Um, what do you think, Greg? I think we have, you know, experienced similar things. Uh, it is very easy to just be like, what did you just say to me? Which is definitely not the, the, right, the right thing because all it does is get them to repeat it louder right. <laughs> usually. Um, <laughs> With one strategy that my wife started doing and I really like is that when uh, either of the kids says something rude, like even just a quick comeback or like they love this – Hugo loves this word disgusting, like shirts are disgusting. I taught them repugnant the other week because I was sick of him saying that. Um, <laughs> and But don't call anything repugnant, you said. I sure hate that. <laughs> right. So uh, we say, um, you know, close your eyes, pretend I'm your teacher and try again. And they, like, they respect their teachers way more than us. Oh, that's totally true. And it's been, like, a really helpful strategy to just, like, you know, first it started with, like, would you say that to Miss Whatever? But then they'll just be like, yeah. Like, (laughs) but if you actually make them role play that, like, I'm your teacher, try that again. Like, why would you say that if you were in class or if your teacher tried to hand you a jacket and would you call the jacket disgusting? And every time they're like, oh, God, I would never say that to Miss Gardunias. Um, So I think, like, that's been – that's been helpful. It's like find another adult in their life that they respect and try to get them to role play what they just said to you to that adult. Like imagine your teacher is standing in this kitchen and handing you this cheese stick that is the wrong color, right? Mm. I know it's a white cheddar <laughs> cheese stick. That's probably actually somehow better for you. But let's try again. Then string, which right. is a breed of cheese we don't quite. Um, <laughs> where does the string cheese come from? Uh, I love that. I love close your eyes and imagine you're talking to your teacher or, to, really or to whoever, to your grandma or to. Yeah. You know, I really Even like, that checkout like lady at the grocery store, they're nicer to right. her yeah. than they are to us. Oh, so yeah. it's sort of like, yeah. I've become very sensitive to this lately, the approval seeking that kids are doing with their teachers, with maybe friends, parents or other adults who don't love them unconditionally, you know, or who they don't under, you know, take to love them unconditionally um, or a grandma who's just a soft place to land, you know. Um, so it, it's we, we love them the most and we pour the most into them. And at times we get, you know, the least from them in terms of like kindness and respect. But I think that even at seven, you can start to explain that. I love your approach to that. I'm going to try that because, you know, we haven't done the role playing, but I I've said, like, you wouldn't speak to, you know, I can go down a list of people, you know, and it's usually, it's typically mom and dad, and sometimes not even the stepmother, you know, it's like these two, I will give you my butt to kiss, and everybody (laughs) else, I'm going to tighten up a little bit. So just the reminder of like, you know, not saying I want to make you feel guilty, and didn't I throw you a birthday party, or, you know, but as I've reminded my daughter, it usually goes like this, I I may have told this story on the podcast before, and I apologize to everyone if you've had to hear it twice, and I apologize to everyone who's going to hear it for the first time. But I, um, you know, I'll, I'll make a small sign with my hand, kind of like a um, the OK sign, uh, which has been ruined forever by the white nationalist movement. You know, it shows you, you know, how small that little circle is between your pointer finger and your thumb. And I'll say, Naima, what's this small? She'll say, a vagina. And I said, and who is the one person in this world who expelled you from a hole that small? And that's me. So it's not always about laying that guilt, that much guilt on them, but also just like, hey, nobody loves you like we do. And we're going to always love you. And that doesn't mean that it's OK for you to cast our love back in our faces by treating us uh, with this sort of, you know, meanness. My strong feeling is that you should tell that story every episode, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, here's the one thing I will. Uh, the last thing I'd like to add to this, which is that I think this question, the answer to this question, is different with young kids and with older kids, mm-hmm. and it's different in a way I didn't expect yeah. at all. With young kids, I think they're. It totally makes sense. Basically, every time they respond in a way like this to do some mild correction to remind them, this is not the way we speak to people we love. Close your eyes and would you speak this way to your teacher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you have a tween or a teen, I never understood until I had tweens and teens that you just got to eat a lot of shit when you're the parent of a teen and a tween because the like the hormones raging through their bodies turn them into such oppositional monsters that if you like picked a fight or tried to correct or dealt with every single time they were rude to you, you would you wouldn't have time for a job. Like you just, you would have time for nothing else <laughs> in your life. And and you just have to sort of grit your teeth a lot and be like this is adolescent rage speaking. I know that she still loves me. You just got to let it go. And I find myself like swallowing my response so much with my kids who are by I like on the on the scale very well behaved teenagers and tweens but are still assholes to me all the time because that's that age. That's the way I was. That's the way all of us were when we were that age. Perfectly nice people now, gigantic assholes when we were 13. And and the extent to which as a parent of an older kid, you just have to take it is painful but almost always necessary, I find. Have you, how do you and your wife employ guilt tripping with the girls? Because I think about, you know, as a teenager, that was the point where, and it's funny because we, you know, we've laughed about it over the years, but there were times where my mother would cry, you know, because of how I spoke to her, just had these very dramatic moments. And it turned out that she was bullshitting, you know, like she just wanted me to feel guilty about how I was acting. And and she was putting on a show, which I respect and admire as somebody who likes shenanigans. Um, But at the time, it was, you know, a bit more effective than her simply saying I don't like how you're talking to me. That's interesting. I I don't think I've ever had to in the moments where my kids have said or done something truly awful that truly made me feel like shit. I I'm not actually that good at like masking my feelings and they see it and know it and usually respond immediately and I haven't had to fake it that. Like I don't think I really have used that that often yeah. only because it's been a technique that I've used but like by accident, because there have been times, that's, you know, maybe once a month, yeah. one kid will say something that's just so awful to me or to my wife that it actually makes us like, like makes our jaws drop Hurt. and makes us look legitimately upset, yeah. maybe makes us cry. And, and they were like, recognize, oh, I guess I, I, maybe that was one step too far. Yeah, that's great, though. You know, I think so many parents of older children and smaller children feel a need to put on, you know, a stiff upper lip or just, you know, to perform what responsible, mature adulting and parenting looks like. So you're not going to see me, you know, you won't see a crack in the facade. I'm disappointed. I can say I'm disappointed. I'm angry. I can say I'm angry, but like sad or vulnerable, you know, like we don't necessarily want to be that way with our kids. But I think it's important that they see us. And that's what we and we do sort of keep up that facade when the comments are like the usual teenage bullshit. And that's yeah. it's like that level of comment that's had to be what we train ourselves not to respond to. Because mm, it's too much. You would right. literally just be a right. mess. Uh, all right. Hope this is helpful. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, good luck with your disrespectful, shit-talking seven-year-old. Don't worry. It's only going to get worse. <laughs>
<laughs> Let's move on to the part of the show where we each choose an item in our lives that we like or enjoy and offer a kind of recommendation to share with other people. Uh, we call this segment Recommendations. Greg, what do you have? Um, I'm, I'm not log rolling for myself, uh, but I am Why recommending not? a toy that a friend of mine makes. Um, so uh, an acquaintance of mine is um, like one of those people who like went to clown school and juggles. And then uh, now he is making a thing called a shishibo. And it's like a puzzle. And it's for... Gesundheit. Yeah, shishibo, right? Yeah, it does sound slightly um, uh, sneezy. And um, it's like a magnetic game. It's really great for the car. It's pretty good for uh, kids. Like the three-year-old uh, to four loves it all the way up to Nina who likes it too. So... I would say like in that range, but it's basically like a puzzle, geodesic puzzle game. And you can make, you know, you can make this thing into like a star. You can make it into a cube. We have two at home. You can combine them into other things. The kids love them and they keep playing with them in the car a lot, which is good because you can just sort of keep it in the car. It's small. It's hard for them to break. And it like sticks together and makes all these fun shapes. Um, I don't know. He was like, you should check this thing out. And as soon as I played with it, I was like, I, mean, I need these for my children. And so got two. And like now we give them as gifts. So when we traveled this summer, we brought one for like the friend that we visited. So uh, hopefully we can put a link in the show notes. But I, I recommend the Shashibo. It's spelled S-H-A-S-H-I-B-O. I'm looking at it now and I would describe it as psychedelic magnetiles that don't fall apart and in fact are just connected so that you don't lose them. Yeah. It's like a less frustrating Rubik's Cube. Yeah. With magnets. Uh, it looks cool. I like it. Very cool. Good recommendation. Jamila, what about you? So, you know, as I've mentioned many times, I'm new to California. Um, I live in the greater Los Angeles area. And I grew up in Chicago, spent um, my adulthood in Washington, D.C. and New York. So I have relatively limited experience with going to malls. It was a thing that we did on occasion when I was a kid, you know, here and there in college, you know, very rarely uh, living in New York of all places. And so I would like to recommend going to the mall <laughs> because now that I live in the, mo I'd say one of the most suburban, it's not a suburb, but it's suburban-ish in ways that I'm not used to. And there's all these malls and LA is also kind of boring and not the most walkable uh, city. So like as somebody who likes to meander and, and walk around and, and, you know, like shop a lot of places, I don't just want to go to one store if I need something. I'm either going to do that online or like I want to, you know, like go to a lot of stores and they've got these big structures where all the stores are like inside or they're like all next to each other on these like, you know, they call them strip malls. And it is amazing. I it is such a great distraction for my child, even though, of course, it comes with the whole now I want to, you know, have something from here, have something from here. But it is just a wonderment. I'm like, <laughs> wow, thank God we didn't have that. Like when I was a teenager, I didn't do that. I would have never graduated high school. I'd be working at the Orange Julius because what a magical place. There's so much. Sometimes I don't even buy anything. I'm just happy to be in the presence of all this capitalism and people and colors. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's but it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is this a unique experience that I am like truly delighted by malls? I thought, and I know that there I are parents that are like, I, I would but describe that as the, liberal news media bubble. the least it's unique experience left. you've ever described. This is, I mean, because I am astounded by it. Like, especially, you know, it, it's a great place to go with my daughter. If it's just kind of like, I don't really have an activity for day or we need some towels, you know, we can have dinner there. We can, you know, get a little thing. They've got a place you can sit and play. If you go by yourself, like, again, I live in California, so I'm smacked. So, I, you know, get a little weed, go to the mall and just, wow, there's stuff with, I'm trying on stuff with sequins. I don't have anywhere to go. You know what I mean? But it's just there. 
Uh, malls are mall. sort of canceled in like middle America, but they they're alive and well in California. They're they huh. do great. There's so many of them. There's a lot of them. Um, I I'm so delighted by you just now discovering malls. I can't I even know. express how great it is to me. Wait till I get a car I and I can actually bring some shit home from the mall. That's gonna be <laughs> Wait, you're in California without a car? I know. I am. Well, I've only been here for Holy I've only been here for a month. Okay. Well to be fair, I've only lived here a month and I have not driven in twelve years. So if there are anyone who's interested in um, you know, if you want to be a supporter of Karen Feeding and you're a car uh dealership or brand, now is the time to get in because I will ride very hard for you because I have to purchase a car for the first time as a real adult and it's terrifying and daunting. And again, I haven't driven in a really long time. There are so auto like, malls. Bob's Beverly Hills There's Hyundai so is gonna be a sponsor of next week's Karen Feeding. It, we could only like <laughs> If the Compton Lexus dealership is listening, mm. please, my DMs are open. Uh, I'm delighted that you love week. malls. I also found malls lifesavers when our kids were little. In fact, when we lived in New York, we were lucky enough to have a car while we lived there. And we would often drive uh, upstate to the Palisades Mall, mm-hmm. a fantastic mall in the Hudson Valley, and just like hang out there for a day with our kids because there were a million things to do. And in winter, when we were stuck in a tiny apartment, we we were often at a loss, and we would kill whole days at that mall and not buy anything except for like lunch at P.F. Chang's. It was great. This is definitely a cry for help, and I miss New York so bad. Yeah. I can't yeah. sleep at night. Help me, God. Sorry, I Jamila. am going up for a place that has a Build-A-Bear and Auntie Anne's. What have I done to my life? Uh, I have two recommendations today. Two games. One is for littler kids. One is for bigger kids. Uh, the one for little kids is called Boom Blast Sticks. It was introduced to us by our friends Mike and Acadia. That's sticks with an X. Because it's extreme. Nice. <laughs> uh, it's for littler kids. It's a canister full of these little springy plastic triangles. And you pinch them closed and then stack them one on one on top of each other. But at some point, one of them springs undone and blam, all the little triangles fly everywhere and like peg you in the face uh, and stuff. It's great. Everyone screams. Everyone cracks up. Kids Love it every single time. It's delightful. Good for like ages four to nine. Any younger than that and your child will definitely swallow the little triangle. <laughs> that is not a legal recommendation to the makers of Boom Blast Sticks. It is not legally binding. <laughs> Mom and dad are finding is not liable for any swallowing that does occur. <laughs> the game for older kids is called Telestrations. It was introduced to us by our friends Claire and Dave. I would describe Telestrations basically as Pictionary plus telephone. So you have these little notepads. You get a phrase and then you draw it as best you can in like 30 seconds. And then you pass it to the next person in the circle and they guess what you drew. And then they pass it to the next person and they try and draw that thing that they guessed. And then they pass it to the next person and then they guess what it is that the last person drew. And it just gets more and more degraded and stupid and funner and funner the more awry it gets. Great game. Everyone loves it. Ages 11 and up. We'll put links to these as well as to all these other recommendations for Greg's friend's game that he gets 10% of every sale of and for malls on our show page and on the Facebook page. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's our show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, leave us a message at 425-255-7833. No one does that anymore. They just email us at slate.com because they love Shasha. Join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting there. Mom, Dad, or Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila and Greg, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. <laughs>